in America today, they have the mentality that you can't really just teach the Bible. You mean to tell me you're going to teach through the Bible? No, it's got to be topical studies, and you got to try to somehow make it relevant, you know, the message. Uh, listen, I'm here to tell you that the Bible is relevant, and we can teach it. Just teach it, and that's what we do. Today, this is going to be a trip, man. We're going to teach a whole chapter out of the Bible. You guys ready for that? You're like, I'm leaving. No, just hang in there, man. It's a beautiful chapter. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. They've just been uh, driven out of the city of Antioch, and they now arrive in the city of Iconium. It's about a 90-mile journey away. And so I always like to show you guys the map. Uh, you should probably even have these in the back of your Bible. But we have a map uh, regarding his first missionary journey. And you'll notice up there on the top portion of the map, the region of Galatia, he gets kicked out of Antioch, and now he travels 90 miles to this place called Iconium. Now, if you can, take a good look on the map, because you're going to see they later travel to Lystra, then they're going to travel to Derby, and then if they would have continued to go in the direction that they were in, they could go now through the mountains of Taurus, they can go down to Tarsus, and they can go to Antioch of Syria, which is where the journey began. It would have been the safest route. It would have been the fastest route. But you're going to see uh, in our study today that they actually don't take the safest, fastest route. They go where Jesus calls them to go. And they go back all the way through down to Perga, Italia, and they sail over to uh, um, Antioch. And so keep that map in your mind. And we begin reading in Acts chapter 14. It says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. And so, you know, and not just for them, I pray that we would all understand that we are on a mission with a message for mankind. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be Paul it doesn't matter who you are. I think we all have this message. We all have a stewardship with the gospel. And so they're on this message, missing with a message for mankind. And, uh, and as they go, you know, as you know how they would do, they would always go to the synagogue because that's where the Jews were gathered. And where the Jews were gathered, the scriptures were taught, the scrolls were read. There was an expectation, there was an anticipation of the coming Messiah. And so they would always go to the synagogues there because it was perfect. Paul and Barnabas would have come in and simply tell them the message that the Messiah has come. And they would then share the gospel with them, right? And so now they arrive in Iconium and they do what they always do. But I love what we read there in verse 1, that they so spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed. They believed. You know, and I was thinking it would be cool to say, yay, hooray, this is what it's all about, you know, that, that they would believe. I mean, you guys know that, that staple scripture, the gospel in a nutshell, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, that's, that's the gospel. You go with a, a message for mankind. You're a sinner. It's okay, though. There's a savior. He died for you, took care of everything, paid the payment 
All you have to do is believe you won't perish. You'll have everlasting life. And so when I read that, it took place there in Iconium that a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed. I don't know about you, but I'm like, man, celebration for salvation, huh? Yay. Hooray. I mean, that's what we have to do is believe. That's the message for us, you know? I don't know if you guys ever noticed this or not. Do you guys ever notice our church van out there? It was given to us uh, by another church, and so we had to take their name off, put our name on, and when we did, we put Calvary Chapel Almani on there. We thought, well, well, we'll put a scripture on there. It would be cool. That way we're driving around town. People can, you know, read the Bible. And so I was praying, Lord, what scripture do you want? And the scripture that just came to heart is Acts 16.31. It's a great passage because when you read the book of Acts chapter 16, you'll find that Paul and Silas were arrested. They were in the dungeon. They were there at midnight. And guess what they were doing? They were complaining. No, I'm just joking. They weren't. They were worshiping the Lord. It was midnight. And so there was a jailer. There was a, a soldier who was responsible for all these prisoners and the way that it worked in Rome, it's, it was, listen, you got to make sure that these guys are stay in prison because if not, the sentence that they were going to get, you get as a soldier. And so um, that one night, you know, they're there and under that whole context, they're singing, they're praising, all the prisoners are listening to them. But in Acts chapter 16, it says, and then there was an earthquake. You see, that's what happens when you pray under, under awful circumstances it's okay, you're trusting God, you're praising God, you're singing to God, and there was an earthquake, and all the doors were opened, right? And so, um, with that in mind, the, the guard, the, the soldier, the one responsible for them, who understood that he would now suffer their fate, it, since they're all going to escape, you know what he did? He took a sword, and he was about to take his life. He was going to commit suicide. But you know what happened? Paul found out. He ran to him. He said, no, don't do it. And what happened is he told them, listen, we're all here. You don't have to die. You don't have to commit suicide. You know, and we see that in the world today. The enemy will come with so many reasons. And it's, you know, just the, the mental torment that so many people suffer. They don't want to continue in life. They're there on the brink of suicide. Then someone comes in and says, you don't have to do that. And so this guy, knowing they're Christians, knowing there's something different about them, he says, sirs, what do I need to do to be saved? And that's where our church van comes in. <laughs> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you and your household. You see, and, I, and just in case, you know, more than likely, all you guys are saved, first service has that tendency, you know. <laughs> but um, you just never know. There might be someone here, you're hurting, you're dying inside, you don't want to live. Maybe you're struggling with crystal meth or porn or pot or drinking or Whatever it is, uh, your family's tore apart, you know, life is just crumbling right before your eyes, you're empty, you've tried everything, and they're on the, you're hanging by a thread. Listen, I want you to know that the love of God, the salvation of God is a free gift that he wants to give to you today. All you have to do is receive and believe. That's the message that they went out to give to all mankind. That's the message that we need to give wherever you're stationed.
in life. When they went to Iconium, that's what happened. They gave the message and great multitudes of both Jews and Gentiles, they believed. <laughs> and I say, yay, I say, hooray, celebration for salvation. You know, and at the end of the day, it's very important for us to know that, that it's not pluralism. It's not all roads lead to, to salvation. There's one way. His name is Jesus. And this world really is the only difference or distinction or dichotomy. There's only two types of people in the world, the believers or the unbelievers. And we read now about the unbelievers in verse 2. Notice Acts 14, verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. You know, and you read that, such a bummer. When unbelievers, they rile up the people, they poison their minds with all their lies against the brethren. And they're speaking against Christ, they're speaking against Christians. No doubt they're trying to disqualify the messengers themselves. They're speaking against Paul and Barnabas, right? You know, I don't know exactly what they're saying, you know, but maybe like Christians don't really care. You know, there's not really love there because they don't just let you be who you are. You know, the different things they say, rumor has it, hey, did you guys hear rumor has it that Barnabas used to be a priest until a scandalous resignation and, and Saul, you know, he used to be a good man until that day, that hallucination. I mean, it's funny how they'll poison people's minds with lies. Because unbelievers really have no problem speaking half-truths, which are really whole lies. They'll do whatever they can to poison the minds of the people. You know, it's like a spiritual cyanide. And once those things get in, it closes your mind and it hardens your heart to God. And that's why you have to be careful, my friends. Who are you listening to? Who's speaking into your life? Question, are they saved? Are they Christians? Is it God's word? Be so careful lest your minds get poisoned, right? You know, you'll hear it from the liberal left, the media. There's no doubt about it. They clearly have an agenda. It's not just to report the news. I mean, anybody can see that there is an agenda, right? It's an anti-Christian agenda, you know? It's a bummer. Here we see that they can even poison the minds of the brethren. So I just want to encourage you, be careful what goes into your mind. The Bible says that their tongues are poisonous and they'll fight, you know, with a snake bite, so to speak. Uh, Psalm 140, verse 3, they sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. And then he says, Salah, think about that. Or James chapter 3, that's a great chapter about the tongue. And then in, in verse 8, he talks about the tongue in the fleshly matter. And he says it's an unruly or unrestful evil full of deadly poison. And so, who knows? Maybe there's some here today whose minds are poisoned. And I hope not. But even if your minds are poisoned, listen, we're not going to give up on you. Paul and Barnabas, they didn't give up. As a matter of fact, they didn't let up. Look what we read in verse 3. Therefore, they concluded, therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 
So, you know, some might be intimidated and they might, you know, back down. These guys didn't. It says, therefore, they stayed there a long time. They didn't split or quit. They cared for the new Christians there, right? They knew the danger of that poison. And so they rose to the occasion and concluded that since they were experiencing such opposition, they would stay even longer. And so, you know, our group from Cambodia, they're coming back and they've been there for a couple of weeks but I was just thinking, and this is what God's called them to do, and it's effective, it's amazing what God is doing in these missionary journeys. But man, imagine going on a missionary journey for two years. Imagine that. That's what they did. They went, uh, it was about 1,500 miles. It took them two years, 53 days of actual traveling. So that would leave them a lot of other days, months at a time, to stay in these places. So how many of you here, some of you here have gone to Cambodia? Raise your hand if you've gone to Cambodia with us. Okay, so there's a few. Um, how about Mexico? Any of you here gone to missions trips to us in Mexico, Nepal? All right, imagine like going, for example, Henry went with us to Prevang, one of the poorest villages in the world. So imagine going there. We're there for maybe a total of four hours or five or six hours between two days. Imagine, Henry, staying there for two months. Two months in this village, the poorest, one of the poorest villages in the world, and just discipling the people. See, that's what they were doing. And, and you have to ask, you know, the Lord how he's going to lead you. Everyone's different. But, man, we have to be open to things like this. And so, you know, they're there. The opposition is great. It doesn't make, make them back down or intimidate them. They end up concluding, therefore, since it's dangerous, the enemy here you know, he's going to try to swallow them up. We're going to stay here. We're going to protect them. We're going to teach them. We're going to disciple them. We're going to be here for them. And that's what they end up doing. Listen, sometimes opposition means we hold our position. Because the enemy will come against whatever God is doing. You know, there's another example of this in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians from Ephesus, he said, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, a lot of people, if it's many adversaries, they're like, oh, I'm out of here. You know, for Paul, it's like, no, I better stay here. <laughs> and so while they're there, we read that they were speaking the word boldly. And God was bearing witness of his word through the wonders that were done. And that's what happens in the ministry. You know, the miracles, they go hand in hand with the message. And I'm here to tell you that it still happens today. You know, some people think, well, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, that was for then. And once the Bible was written, we don't need the miracles, signs, and wonders anymore. You know, and I love what Pastor Chuck said. Because, you know, some people say, well, the, the wonders, the signs, the miracles, they're not available for today. And what Pastor Chuck said, it's not that, that, that they're not available. It said that we're not available. Because the signs, the wonders, the miracles, they are still being done today, my friend. I'm considering myself, even though I'm a little guy, I'm considering writing a book on the miracles, the clear-cut miracles that I have seen in the, 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 the ministry that we've been involved in. I mean, how many of you here, just out of curiosity, I don't want to put you on the spot, I don't think that one's better than the other, because they're not, you know, but how many of you here have experienced a, a bona fide miracle in your life? Raise your hand. 
It still takes place today. And I look at some of you guys, and you're so messed up, and I think, Lord, they're a miracle. Just there, <laughs> just them being here is a miracle. So, so they're still done today. They, the message, the, the miracles, they go hand in hand, right? That's what happens when God is moving. We're going to see more of that in our study today. And so, you know, with such words of love being spoken and the wonders that are being done, you'd figure that all the people would be convinced, but it wasn't the case. Notice what happens next in verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews, part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding region. Now, you know, it's, it's a bummer, and we've seen it even in church history. It's tragic when things are not only divisive, but then they become, it escalates to being abusive. You know, and we see it all around the world. Uh, it's still going on today. We live in a cubbyhole. But you go to North Korea, you go to Afghanistan, you go to Somalia, you go to Syria, you go to all around the world, there's more persecution taking place now than there was then. People are being crucified, robbed, raped, beaten, imprisoned, murdered today. And so we need to understand this. Tragically, it's not new. We see it here, even in the scriptures, the church's very first missionary journey, and, and, and we read here that they were on their way to kill them, Jews and Gentiles, with their rulers, government leaders, or officials, so to speak. And so when they found out, hey, they're going to kill you, they ran. And so, you know, the, God has to lead you. If you're ever out there, it would be so cool if some of you guys just took two years of your life and became missionaries you know, I'll, I'll give you $5 to do that or something. We'll support you, man. But listen, if you're out there and you're wondering, well, what should I do? They're going to come. They, they, the word's out that they're going to come and they're going to, uh, you know, kill me. It's okay to run. I would say that, that, that the overall revelation of the Bible is don't be careless with your life. There might be times, however, where he might want you to stay, like uh, Jim Elliott and him and the guys. There are four guys in the jungles of Ecuador they had it in their hearts to reach the Alka Indians. They were savages. And they said, if the Alka Indians come to us, we have guns. We won't shoot them because if we die, we know where we're going. We're going to heaven. If they die, they're going to hell. And so they didn't run. They went into the danger zone. They laid down their life. They died. You have to be led by the Lord. Like I told you, Generally speaking, unless you hear it clearly from God, you can't be careless with your life. You've got to go to the safety zone. But if he tells you to die like Jesus died, then you have to be courageous with your life. And they did. And what ended up happening, you guys remember the story, God used that. So eventually the sister of a died missionary and the, and the, and the wife, they came back and they went to that place where they're, brother, their husband, their friends were killed and they evangelized the Alka Indians and they all became, for the most part, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because the thing is, is it's been said and it's true that the, the blood of the martyrs 
is the seed of the church. And whether we lay down our life physically or whether we just lay down our life in that way spiritually, that's how people are won to the Lord. So here they run. You know, the thing about it, it's kind of cool. We know it wasn't simply that they fled. They were also being led by the Lord because look at verse 7 as they run. In verse 7 it says, and they were preaching the gospel there. And so hopefully that encourages you the next time you experience persecution for righteousness sake and one door closes, listen, God will open another door. And for us it's so beautiful. Isn't it so wonderful? The devil can't stop you. Isn't that so wonderful? That the stumbling stones, they will become stepping stones. All of our life, even in death, persecution and execution even, will always be used by God. I mean, to me, it's just so cool to see that. You know, Stephen died in Acts chapter 7, but I believe that that was used by God for Saul to get saved. And then we read in, after Stephen died, we read in Acts chapter 8 in verse 1 that at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And so, you know, they were getting persecuted. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. But if you go down to verse 4, it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. How many of you here think that preaching the word is just for pastors? Good, nobody raised their hand. I'm proud of you. I want you to know that preaching the word is for all of us, especially because we have Bibles. You know, there hasn't, it hasn't always been that way in church history. I mean, we got the printing press when, 1500s. I mean, it was then the Bible started being mass-produced, and then you got, you know, eventually, uh, you know, you've, the Bible, what, $400? Eventually it comes down now. You know, we can get a Bible for a couple bucks. Some of you guys have multiple Bibles. Listen, you're accountable. God wants us to go preaching the word, and that's what they were doing wherever they went. You know, and so me, it, when I see them that they fled, to me, it's more like they were led to the next city. And like in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph said, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. And so, as they're led by the Lord, they now come to Lystra, and they're preaching the gospel there. And watch what happens in verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And so the other one was talking about they're doing signs and wonders. Here we see something specific before us, right? And I don't know if you can visualize that. You guys, use your imagination. Here's a guy who hasn't walked his whole life. His whole life he's been a cripple. And so Paul is preaching, like, you know, kind of like I'm sharing with you right now, but his was a, a lot better. And, and as he's sharing, he's looking, and all of a sudden he kind of locks in on one of the individuals in, this, in the congregation that was really listening. And let me just say this as a side note. It's kind of cool when you find people like that. Sometimes people are sleeping. Sometimes they're doing different things, looking at their phone. But every once in a while, you find someone who's really tracking with you, man. They're listening. And then, and then, and then here's the thing that happened. 
is that Paul then looked intently at him. It's like he looked deeper beyond the surface. He looked with, like, with God's insight, and he saw that this man that was there crippled, he had faith to be healed. You know, and, and we wonder, well, why doesn't that happen as much nowadays? Listen, it still happens. I have been witness of this in Cambodia. I saw it in happen in Cambodia. In Nepal, I heard the testimony of an individual who was healed, who could not walk. Jesus healed him. So it still happens, you know. But, but like I said earlier, Pastor Chuck is saying, these th- it's not that these things aren't available. It's just that a lot of times we're not available. And here's the thing. And this is what I believe. You've got to know that Jesus Christ has been given all authority, all authority on heaven and earth. He said in Matthew 28, 18, and he said, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so, do you guys remember the story when the, the centurion came to Jesus? He said, can you heal, you know, this guy back at home, my son? And, and Jesus said, oh, sure, let's go. And then he said, you know what, you don't need to come over to my house. He said, oh, I'm also a man of authority. I tell people to do this and go there and do that. And they do what I, ta- what I say. And, 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 then, and then Jesus said, wow, this guy understands my authority. He understands my power. And he was astonished. And so Jesus healed the guy. See, we got to have the same mentality. We have to understand the authority of Christ, what he can do. And then that, that when we pray, he's with us. I'm not saying it always happens this way, but what ends up happening is we look deeper into situations. I mean, do you do that? Like someone's there, someone's hurting, this is going on, that, the other. Oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. See you later. And it's not really like looking deeper into situations. You know, yesterday I was with my wife, and, you know, it's kind of funny. How many of you guys are old enough to where you need glasses now to see things? <laughs> and, you know, yesterday I was eating this crazy salad that she got. It was, had all these colors and different things on it. And it was, so it was right in front of my eyes, Right. And I'm thinking, okay, without my glasses, it's just a big blur. So I put my glasses, and I'm like, wow, it's beautiful, you know? And, and, and basically, it's just a matter of whether or not you want to see things, to really see things the way God does. Oh, I'm not just going to look at that situation or that person with my normal eyes, that person, you know, mental illness. I mean, you know, just kind of get them some medication. No, you start looking at things the way that that Paul did. And then you can kind of find out whether or not he wants to use you, whether there's faith, whether it's opportunity to heal them. Now, I've been starting to look at at things even in the church deeper. You know, this whole thing with with us in a building. God's been showing me things regarding our building. I could just say, oh, yeah, we try to get a building, this, that, and the other. And then the Lord's just saying, listen, Manny, put your glasses on. I want you to look deeper at this because what I believe is that when God gives us a facility here in Almani, he's going to bless. He's going to bring a lot of people. They're going to get saved. They're going to get strengthened. But, but you've got to look deeper. We have, that's what Paul did. And as a result of that, he saw that the man had faith to be healed. And so he told him to get up. And the man leaped and he started walking. Imagine that. You know, Paul is such an example for us because 
You know, he's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, I pray that we would be like that. It doesn't have to be the pastor. It can be any of us. And as we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, God will start doing more and more miracles. You know, when that individual was healed, you know, it was also a kind of a, a cooperation with not only, I think, maybe a gift that Paul had, but the faith that the man had in, in your own life, too. And I just want to encourage you, no matter what you're going through, you've got to have the faith that God can strengthen you, that God can heal you, that God can use you. And then what ends up happening is they work together. And so, you know, this amazing miracle happens, and the intention of the miracle, I think, number one, yeah, God just wants to bless that man, but number two, probably more importantly, to point the people to the true and living God, right? I mean, that's the whole purpose. But unfortunately, it didn't work that way. It doesn't always work that way. Look at verse 11. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done... They raised their voices, saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Hermes, we get our word hermeneutics from that. It's talking about you know, the, the way we speak. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, he brought oxen and garlands to the gates intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. And so they heal the man, and the guys are like, wow, the gods have come. You know, and, and they go, and they're ready to sacrifice to them. Talk about missing the point. You know, you go and you hear a great message from someone, and you walk away, and you think, wow, what an awesome, you know, pastor or speaker that was. Talk about missing the point. I mean, it's, it's not, it's never, it should never be that. It's about the great God that we serve. And sometimes, unfortunately, we just, man, we react that way, right? I mean, the sole purpose of Barnabas and Paul and the healing of the lame man is to point people to Jesus, but instead, the people make a mess by deifying the messengers and they conclude that the gods have come down to us, right? And, and, and more than likely, and I'm just guessing here, we'll find out when we're in heaven, Barnabas is probably the big brother, like big dude. And so he's Zeus, right? <laughs> and then Paul is, uh, and the history tells us that he was small uh, with a big nose and walked a little crooked, probably after getting thrashed so much. So he was a little guy, but he was the primary speaker, and so they called him Hermes, Right? And so the priest starts getting everything ready to sacrifice to them. And we read in verse 14, But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitudes, crying out and saying, Man, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. 
And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. You know, and, and Pastor Chuck was saying this is more dangerous than when they wanted to stone them, you know. I, I don't know if you can imagine someone wanting to offer sacrifices to you, someone bowing down in front of you, um, someone wanting to pray to you, someone exalting you, saying you're, you're more than a man. I don't know if you could, you know, think that went through, but someone puts you on a pedestal, you know, and, and man, we got to be so careful. According to the Bible, it's blasphemy. That's why they were tearing their clothes. That's why they ran. I mean, they ran into the middle of the crowd and cried out loud, why are you doing this? We're men just like you are. You know what that means? We're sinners. We fall short. We put our pants on, you know, one leg at a time just like you do. We're wicked. We're wretched, every man. And I've told you guys a million times that the best of men are men at best. And so, you know, when we see this happen, we, we realize that this is a big mistake. They're just men and women who have a particular place in the body of Christ, and they have this calling, and these guys are now, you know, gifted in that area. But none are better than any other. And I, and I pray you guys would know that. You know, none better than any other. Um, you know, some of you thinking, well, pastors are special Listen, uh, there are many times where I would much rather have a plumber than a pastor. How many of you can say amen to that? <laughs> I mean, uh, I think my wife too. You know, I mean, things happen and it's all clogged up, hundreds of dollars. You know, and you call, uh, uh, you know, Brother Ray over or Greg or someone, man. I mean, we're, listen, none better than any other. All just men. It's so important that we understand this. Because the other day, and I got to share this with you, I was watching a special, I don't know if it was Vente Vente or one of the others, but it was um, about the cults. And now sometimes, you know, you get these guys in certain churches and they start, you know, uh, you know just they take in all the, the, they believe their own press, they take in all the authority, and next thing you know, the whole, you know, congregation are doing these crazy things. And I read, oh, this, this story this video, I don't know if you guys heard about it, this young man was beaten to death by his parents, by his sister, because of the fact that the people didn't understand that it's not like this. You know, I'll tell you this. You know, I thank God that we have leaders. We need leaders. We need pastors. We need that, you know. But anyone who knows their Bible if you know your Bible well, you will never be controlled by man. That's why it's so important to know your Bible. You read stories like this and you realize, listen, these guys have the same nature as I do, none any better than the other. Paul and Barnabas, they say, don't worship us. The whole point of what we're doing is we're trying to point you to Jesus. I'm trying to point you to Jesus so that you would have a relationship with him, intimate and personal, without any mediators. That's what this is all about. They said, turn from the useless idols to the only one true and living God, the maker and the maintainer of the universe. Think about that. That's the one that's available to us. Now, in verse 16 it doesn't mean that God was ever okay with idolatry. 
It simply means that most of the world didn't receive that special revelation at that point in time, which is now why they're giving, they're going with the message of the gospel, which is called the special revelation. Prior to that, they had what's called the general revelation. And, you know, that's God giving us rain, giving us grain, you know, nutrients in the roots so we get the fruit. Aren't you guys glad we get mangoes? This morning I had blueberries. They're so good. You know, all that's from the Lord. And it's so cool what he talks about right here. You know, the way that Paul said, God fills our hearts with food. Isn't that kind of cool? Or you're like, no. He, he fills our hearts with food. You're like, what's that talking about? Is that God clogging my arteries? No, it's like talking about when a person cooks. You guys know what I'm talking about when someone cooks with love? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it fills our hearts with food and gladness. I mean, you know, the other, and I was walking down the street, and I see this guy over here. I don't know the guy, and I see him smiling from ear to ear, and he's laughing, and I think to myself, Lord, what a good God you are. You give us that joy. You give us that laughter. You give us the smiles. All that's from God. And it's a testimony to who he is. And so, you know, he's trying to share with them you know, but even with the wise words, they had a difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I don't think they did, but it was hard. And, and so um, here's another thing that's going to take a twist. That doesn't necessarily mean we'll always have favor with the crowd. Look what happens next in verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, <laughs> they stoned Paul. And dragged him out of the city. And they thought, supposing him to be dead. And I know what you're saying right now. You're like, time out. Time out. Did that just happen? <laughs> you're like tripping out. You know, apparently the haters, under the influence, I believe, of the devil, and the guy, they came from the previous two cities that Paul had, Barnabas had ministered in, and they came with all their poison, and the pendulum swung to the other extreme. You know, one minute they think they're gods deserving of sacrifice. The next minute they think they're demons deserving to be stoned. And, you know, it happens, huh? Kind of like Jesus, who on Sunday they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're laying down palm leaves and they're kind of worshiping him. Lord, save us now. And then fast forward to Friday and they're all saying, crucify him, crucify him. And so, you know, another lesson for us. So many things to learn here. But you guys know this, right? I've learned that one minute they love you and the next minute they hate you. I understand that happens, right? You guys know that, right? That one day you're the best thing since sliced bread. The next day they want to slice you like bread. <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do with that? You know, I, I don't want to tell you guys this. Here's the thing. Understand, you cannot always please everyone if you try you're going to go crazy people are going to love you they're going to hate you so here's the thing just live to please god right and they're going to say this and they're going to talk and they're going to hate you know what that's between them and the lord that's why we must live for the approval of god and not people because they're fickle and we cannot please everyone. And so the Jews, they got a hold of Paul. They stoned him to death. Thank God he didn't stay dead, because look what we read next in verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, 
He rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And, and when you, you do the math and, and you put the pieces of the puzzle together, you'll find that this was when Paul, he, he, was, he died and he was caught up to the third heaven. You read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He, that's the dwelling place of God. Just in case you didn't know, the first heaven is the atmosphere where the birds fly. The second heaven is space where all the stars are hung. And then the third heaven is the dimension of the kingdom of God. And Paul here, he died and he went into the third heaven. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's so amazing. But apparently when he went up there, God said, listen, your race is not over. You still have to run some more. So they gathered around him and he was uh, then risen from the dead and uh, he just wasn't done. And so he comes back and, and he's such an example to us when he comes back. Even after going through all that he went through, it didn't nearly stop him from preaching the gospel, you know. I mean, he probably had some aches and bruises. Like I told you, history tells us that he walked with a limp, that he was kind of hunchback, a little crooked. I think you would be too if you were stoned to death. You know, and they didn't use just baseballs. They're like, hey, no, we're talking stoned to death. I mean, he was all messed up. How many of you here would think, well, you know what? I, I probably should take a week off. I just died, you know, and they stoned me. No, this guy doesn't even do that. It's crazy. Look what happens in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. I love that. Exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I mean, like I told you, when you look at the map, you know, they're, they're going east. They can just continue to go east, go south, and boom, they're home. As a matter of fact, Paul lived right there in Tarsus. He can stop and say hi to mom on the way back. But it wasn't about mom. It's about the Lord. It's about what God wants us to do. And so as they're praying, you know, he says, I want to go back to all these cities. What do you want to go back for? These are the guys that they don't just want to kill you. They killed you. And he says, because there are disciples there that I'm concerned about. There are people there that I, have, I love. I want to make sure they're okay. It's a new church. And there's a lot of tribulations ahead. And if they're not ready for it, they might fall away. And so he goes back, one by one, into the danger zone. And I remember when I was a first Christian, I had a friend. He was a... He was a vato. I mean, he was a gangbanger. And then he got saved, and he loved the Lord like crazy. But for whatever reason, his ministry, he stayed the same. He dressed exactly the same, you know. And so he would go and minister to the gangs, like, right where they, right where they hung out. And so one night he asked me if I want to go with him into the areas of L.A. with all the gangbangers. And, you know, I'm thinking, dude... <laughs> And I said, okay. And you know what he did? He dressed me up like a gangbanger. <laughs> and we just went straight into the hoods. And we gave them, you know, tracks and we talked to them. You know, it was, a lot of you here, you know, the, the truth is, you know, a lot of you here steer clear of bad neighborhoods. 
You know, but, but we can't be that way. I'm not saying, you know, be careless, but be obedient wherever God leads you. You know, the Klingermans, I know they're not the same today as they used to be. But, you know, we had a Bible study at the Klingermans. I love Almani. And it doesn't matter, you know, my, sometimes, you know, my mom and dad, I remember, or different people, you're going to go to Cambodia. You know, some people are afraid to fly on a, on a plane. They won't go on a missions trip because they're afraid to fly on a, on a plane. You know, and if you've got some type of uh, airplane phobia, that's okay. But not if you're just afraid to die. You know, Paul teaches us that God can do anything with someone who's not afraid to die. But if you're afraid to die, then you have big-time limitations. And so he says, I'm going to go back to these places. And he goes back one by one. He's not afraid of these people that wanted to kill him. Now, God would deliver Paul, and he never forgot. Later in 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, this is the last letter he would ever write. He never forgot. He said to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my, my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. You know, what Paul wanted to do, look again, if you would, real quick before we close, verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples... That's the whole mission. That's the whole commission, right? Remember what I told you earlier? Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore, Jesus said, and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So not just converts, disciples, our heart is to God would raise up committed followers of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a learner, the Greek word mathetes. It speaks of a student sitting at the feet of someone. And that's all we want to do. It's something that you have to have in your heart. I am willing to sit at the feet of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to learn his word, to be in it every day, to obey it, and then to go and share it with others. And that's what he wanted to do. And so he went and he made disciples of them. Listen, if you're here today and you're not a disciple, or you're here today and you need to be made a disciple, talk to one of us. That's what we're here for. This is what it's all about. We'll go back. We'll do whatever we can. Even though we know it's not us, we're going to see later. We're just vessels. But I do tell you, that's our heart. That's our commission, to make disciples. And so you read this right here, verse 23. And so when they had appointed elders in every church, uh, you know, now, like I said, it's maybe been about two years, so there are guys that are growing. An elder is not just someone who's older, because not all older people are spiritually mature. It's speaking of someone who's spiritually mature. These are going to be the leaders. They, they appointed them in every church. They prayed with fasting, and then they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through, Pisidia, they came down to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. And I just love that word, completed. They completed it. And now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God 
had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And so just a beautiful journey, you know. They, they took care of the fellowship. After a couple of years, they appointed the leadership. And they did it all with prayer and, and fasting. And they commended them to the Lord. I love that, the way it says that in verse 23. They commended them to the Lord. The Greek word literally means to set before, to place in front of. And you can almost visualize them putting the people right there through prayer, just putting them and trusting them into the presence of God and just saying, Lord, we surrender them to you. We entrust them to you. And, and we need to do that with the church. We need to do that. How many of you here need to do that with your children? Uh, we need to do that you know, with all the challenges of life. It's interesting, in verse 26, it says that that's how the whole missionary journey started, that they had been commended you know, to the Lord as well. And so I pray that you guys, um, you know, you maybe haven't gone to Cambodia, Mexico, Nepal, or wherever we end up going, you know, next. Uh, Jason Maria going to Colombia, Africa, wherever it is. But let me ask you a question. Do you understand that you are a missionary? Do you understand that? I pray that you would. I pray that you do. Only one life soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Remember that. And as we do understand that we're just vessels. You're like, but Manny, I, I don't really think I'm good enough. I'm not really able. I'm not worthy. I, I kind of blow it every once in a while. And listen, you know, try your best to be pleasing to God. You know, you're holy and set apart to Him. But remember, it was when they came back and they gave the report, it was the work that God had done, right? And you and I, we're just, we're just vessels. God will do the work through you. I trip out on my life. I trip out on it. When I first heard that song a long time ago, The Great Adventure, I, it just captured my heart from day one. Just this mission adventure for the Lord Jesus Christ and it has been a lot of mountains you go you listen to that song the mountains the valleys everything in between but I wouldn't trade it in for anything that's what happens when by the grace of God you truly serve him I pray you guys would be blessed in that